Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. Each week, we introduce you to the movers and shakers of the craft beer business and other interesting fields of endeavor. I'm here in the taproom with my co-host, Maria Cabre. Hello, Maria. Hello, John. Who's our first guest? Our first guest is the head brewer and partner at Moxa Brewing Company in Rockland, California, near Sacramento. He is known throughout the craft beer industry for his innovative brewing style and for the success that he has achieved at every stop in his career, including as head brewer at San Diego's Abnormal Beer Company. He has also served as a college instructor, teaching students the finer points of craft beer marketing. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Derek Galanosa. Thank you very much for joining us today. No problem. It's glad to be here. <laughs> it's been a minute. Always a pleasure to talk to you, man. It is. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's also, uh, you know, through visuals here on the on the computer, it's actually good to see you. So, kind of break it down for me. When did you try your first craft beer? I mean, I'd, I'd imagine, obviously, growing up in San Diego, you were surrounded by great beer. But when did you actually try your first craft beer? Yeah, I think it was, uh, you know, giving your friends that were 21 some money to go <laughs> buy something. Right. But unlike other people, I would give them an extra few dollars. Like, hey, get something that we haven't tried before, you know. Nice. And that's how it started, was trying something new. And I think that's comes with that creative mind where like you want to experience new things so that you can have that inspiration to create new things. So, um, I, I guess it was like, you know, 17, 18, 19 was, uh, just exploring, trying something new every time buying out from the grocery store or bottle shop or whatever, just like a new six pack. Nice. You know, nice. Every time. <laughs> Did the homebrew lead to the thought of becoming a professional brewer? Is that what kind of drove like a professional brewer? Is that what kind of led you to to that idea? Like the enjoyment of home brewing kind of led into that, or was I mean, were you seeking that anyways? Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, brewing is my uh, first career actually. So I graduated college with a marketing degree in two twenty two thousand and eight. Right, and yeah, I didn't want to like answer phones or do customer service anymore. (laughs) So I was like, yeah, what what can I do? I was kind of stuck. You know, like should I go back to school? Um, But then I was like, you know, let's. I really like this brewing thing. Let's try to get in that, you know, work two jobs to like get into the, uh, get into the industry. That's what I was willing to do and what I ended up doing. But yeah, I got a job at a brewery called Carl Strauss in, uh, in, in San Diego, uh, working first on the bottling line. And then I wasn't canning line. It was a bottling line. Oh, of course. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And then, uh, and then, and eventually uh, a few months later, um, brewing on the 60 barrel brew house. So that's how I learned was making, the same beer, uh, pretty much the same beer every other day, or just we only had a few beers that we had in rotation um, being a production brewer. But I learned on a 60-barrel brew house. Holy crap. So I learned how to make beer consistently and abundantly. Right, uh, in so a large volume. Just, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't just brewing, but also like the filtration. I mean, it was like uh, we worked on a, um, a DE filter, so that, was, that took some effort <laughs> as well. Cannon line. So it was a big operation, but, you know, that, that was a foundation for – uh, bringing those skill sets to like a smaller scale and really knowing the basis and uh, of, of brewing. But like when I met <laughs> you, you were actually uh, you were with Abnormal. When did you make that jump from Carl Strauss to Abnormal? And I think you were actually Abnormal's first employee, and many in the business would say that the face of Abnormal. I mean, how did that opportunity come about to make that jump from Carl Strauss to Abnormal? Yeah, actually, I was the first employee of that company, and uh, what it was was. Um, it was, and this is kind of kind of cool how like people's past just kind of like differ from each other. I was, uh, I jumped over to be a sales rep over at Carl Strauss. And so I got that sales experience uh, working with accounts. And the reason I jumped over, made that uh, lateral movement was I was kind of stuck with brewing. There was no one leaving above me. Uh, there was um, like, I was kind of bored. I had the late night shifts. So I was like, what do I do, get to do? How am I going to progress my career? I'm like way too young to just like settle. So right. went over to sales and that's how just going around to different accounts. That's how I met the team uh, behind Abnormal and they're thinking about starting a brewery. You know, I was like, you know, it's like a startup. I'm, 
I'll, I'll, I'll consult and kind of tell you guys how, like through my experiences, what to do. Um, but every time they brought over uh, beer from like homebrew from the people that they were going to hire, I was like, this is getting worse. So <laughs> here's what I make. Here's what I make at home. I can do this, 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 and this, like hire me and I'll run the beer program. And that's what I eventually did. Um, I was the first head brewer. I got to, and I was pretty stoked, like not really realizing at the time that, yeah, I could actually like make my beers. So started and created my beers. And um, that's kind of like how I got the name as a brewer um, was uh, that start right there. So yeah, they hired me. I did sales, social media, brewing. Do you remember the feeling the first time that, you know, actually, you know, you worked on such a big, large brewing scale, brewing somebody else's beers, and the first time that you actually took one of your own recipes and brewed it on a commercial scale and poured it in a tap room? Do you remember that feeling, dude? Like, and do you also remember what that first beer was? Yeah, yeah. So the first beer over, it was a session IPA when those were hot. Uh, but that was what basically started to propagate the yeast for the other stuff. So it was a session IPA with mosaic and citra and, um, yeah, having it out of the, after not necessarily on the tap, but like out of the tank when it was done. And when I tasted that, I was like, Oh, this is way better than I would brew it at home. (laughs) (laughs) So just being on professional equipment was, was a, a jump up as well. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. So, you know, that started. And then a few days later, the next beer was ready. And then the next beer, all right, we're ready to go. Let's open up. Let's start pouring the house-made beers in-house. And, um, yeah, it was uh, because there was not, I mean, it was an unknown brewery. I was at the time kind of like an unknown brewer. Uh, So it was really just like friends and family coming over. And, of course, they're going to say it's good. But then that satisfaction of them telling other people that don't know me coming in, and having that like, oh, this is good uh, reaction. That was that was really satisfying right there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, rem- then, I remember obviously yeah. being there for the first time and the beers you were making were great, dude. So, I mean, and it obviously led to more, you know, other things as we moved down the line and stuff and obviously created, oh, of course. created one of the most synonymous beers in, in, the, uh, in the industry. But I, I do want to say like within two years of you being head brewer at Abnormal, I mean, the brewery, was ranked number one in San Diego by both Untapped and Beer Advocate. I mean, were you mm-hmm. were you kind of shocked that the brewery became so popular so quickly? Uh, I think it was just being a beer geek and being attentive to the styles that were popular and being able to replicate those and, if anything, make them better or make them mine. Right. So I was the first one, I'm pretty sure, I was the first one to do like the – treated stouts, the pastry stouts in San Diego and the third one to do hazy IPA. So it was really hitting those trends a little bit earlier, uh, in, in 2016, 2015. Um, and that was like, Oh, these people are like progressive. They're trying to do something special. And on top of that, we were doing, uh, beer pairings, uh, beer dinners. And we did 21 straight months of beer dinners. And I don't know how I was able to run the brewery and do those as well, because it wasn't like it was, I was planning three at a time. I was doing the one that was coming up, you know, in a couple nights, but then sorting out the one, two months of ahead and then dialing in the recipes and uh, uh, menu for the one next month. So I don't know how, how much time I really had back then, but it didn't seem like a lot. How big of a, how, remind me, was that a 10 barrel? Like how many, uh, how many vessels did you have? It was, it was 10 barrels. We started with four 20 barrel fermenters, but then still being just me, they decided, I think I was out in uh, Miami and I came back and there was nine more fermenters oh there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I think it quadruped. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, there was no way I filled them up um, all at one time. We were not at capacity, but we, we set up for capacity. Uh, and it, it was uh, one of those where, and I still get a lot of people who run through that brewery um, like Premier, the um, uh, the manufacturer, they would right. send people to me. They're like, oh, you think you uh, can't fit this many tanks in your space? Go over and see Derek because <laughs> they'll be like, holy shit, this is even more than what I thought can fit in. Right. Uh, I, I said, as long as you could open up the manway, you know, that's enough space for me. <laughs> do you do you remember, the? I think it was the first time I went there, and we brewed, was it Papa 
or the, the Papa recipe, it, and we was, maxed out the mash tun. It was a, it was Machiavelli. Maxed out the no, mash tun. Before that, we we made all the lights. Oh, all the lights. Right. That's right. You're that's right. right. All the lights. Yeah. We maxed out the mash tun and milling in. I remember climbing up the little ladder and to like, the bag oh of my gosh. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that was that. wild. We have to, we have to uh, well, before I was just like, oh, it's my workout for the day, you know, and like set up a ladder and then put the bag over my shoulder and then climb the grist case and then go on top of the cooler the, and yes. then mill in there. Uh, yes. Later, we got smart when someone's like, why don't you just hoist up a, a pallet with the grain and just stay up there. And I was like, Oh yeah. Two years later, that in, makes in like, way more sense. In like a very small space though. It's not really something you oh. think of that. You're like, yeah, let's just bring in a forklift here and hoist up a pallet. <laughs> no, I think the whole brewery was like 20 by 30 feet at the time. Oh my God. We had some offsite offsite, uh, store, like cold storage yes. that I had to bring. We had to rent a truck to, to bring to the offsite storage late at night, unload it, and I would pick up from there every time I had to deliver, which wow. I delivered too. <laughs> what what was the uh, do you remember um what was the most amount of barrels you produced out of there when you were there? Uh currently or, or there? Over there. Over there. I, I think it was just shy of a thousand. I think it was like eight eight hundred ninety or something like that. It wasn't too much. Yeah, but out of that space, dude, that's a lot. Out of that space, we were pumping out beer. I was like, we'll, we'll find homes for it. Let's just right. pump out as much beer. Let's get it out there. So moving down, obviously, the history, uh, a guy named Noon Boonkim uh, reached out to you and Corey Meyer, the former head brewer of New Glory Craft Brewery, to open a brewery in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Did you know Noon and Corey already at that time? No. So the story is my wife actually got a job up here in Sacramento. Um, right. And at, at the time it was um, my girlfriend. I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to marry her. So, you know, I got to go chase <laughs> right. her. <laughs> right. And uh, so I was like, all right. I, and with abnormal, it was like, things were, um, I don't know. I was looking for the next, the next thing. Um, I right. was like, you know, it, it's good, but it's like a crowded market and there's a lot of opportunity uh, in a, in a, um, a growing beer market. So I reached out to my one friend that I had up here, which was not news, uh, somebody else named Chris and Chris linked me. I was like, Hey, uh, can you find me a beer, beer job? Like, you know, we'll, we'll think we'll do great things. Just, uh, right. you know, link me up with somebody. So, uh, link me up with new who then brought in, um, Corey from new glory and then, uh, Scott from who's our CEO. So he was more of like the business right. guy. So it's four of us that are the partners. Um, um, the head brewer manage, um, production, deal with all the, um, uh, well, sales membership, right. <laughs> uh, outside <laughs> events right. and, uh, and, and dealing with the uh, communication, um, to and from everybody that's, uh, coming through. You, you wear a lot of hats, my man. You wear a lot of hats. It is. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's fun. I, I keep things in control and or maybe that's like an issue <laughs> with uh, the control, but, uh, you know, I think it's, we were able to grow slowly and methodically and, uh, everything is kind of over, uh, over, overseen. You're listening to the beer hour with Jonathan Wakefield. And we are speaking to Derek Galanosa of Moxa Brewing. So what, what was it like leaving a super competitive beer market like San Diego for Sacramento? Uh, it was, I could tell it was getting a little, as we are growing, and producing more beer, we, we, we hired a sales rep. We had, uh, two other people on the team. So we were pumping out beers and that's when I noticed it was getting pretty competitive trying to get taps. And it was kind of bringing me back to those sales days where it's like, you know, it's like explaining why our beer is better. It's not people like lining up anymore, right. you know, asking, yeah. um, but moving up to this new market. Okay. Uh, spending some time here. I noticed it's about, I, I always say like it's about five years behind as far as um, getting to know other styles beyond the more popular ones, uh, having craft beer as part of your almost everyday life uh, to where every day can be an option where you grab friends and go to a tap room and there's starting to be one within a mile of everybody. So wow. the, the scene up here is growing uh, and there's still a lot of room for a quality brewer with experience to open up shop and do really well. It's not as competitive. If you make quality products, there's still a lot of room. 
How many breweries are there in Sacramento now, you think? So I still don't know where they are, but there's apparently 80 in, in this greater Sacramento region. Wow. Uh, I mean, I mean, but versus San Diego, obviously. San Diego is like up to like about 200 now. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I heard is like Chicago's like 300. In the what? Greater, like Chicago. Yeah. Wow. So apparently they're, they're the Kings as far as just volume of breweries around. That's crazy. And you know what, what always surprised me about San Diego, obviously, you know, when I did my short stint at stone and other stuff like that was the amount of the new, like the numerous amount of breweries there were, but like per capita, like, because there was only like 2.5 million people in San Diego, like Mm -hmm. to have that many breweries. I mean, that's crazy, but everybody, I mean, they consumed all the liquid and, but it it makes it a very competitive market, but still the drive to drink all that beer. I mean, I wish we kind of had, I mean, not that I want 200 breweries in Miami, but you know what I mean? You know, it's, it's definitely a different beer drinking scene. Uh, People appreciate craft beer on a much different level in California. Outside of Miami. You know, in Miami. Because even, even when you go to like Broward, like, you know, three sons and stuff like that, like, the scene completely changes yes. from Miami to to, yeah. to Fort Lauderdale yeah. or Dania Beach or whatever. Yeah, isn't that? I feel like you know, experiencing both Miami and Fort Lauderdale, I feel like it's a lot of over there. You have to kind of cater to the more like pedestrian customer. That's yes. like I don't know a lot. I came in here because it's like I heard good things. And, right, it's new. You know, yeah. But teach me about the beer, and right. then that's where the educational. Uh, aspect comes through right. and i think that's a mix of what we have um kind of on the weekends here it, it, like the weekdays we get flooded with um with a lot of regulars a lot of people that oh what's new on tap i like this beer they're the repeat customers but on the weekends i mean we're pouring flights all day right you know? we're pouring flights we're, we're educating people no we don't have cider no we don't have wine we <laughs> right, can't serve right. it right we, we can't serve it here but you know we have this and it's we have something that hopefully everybody would be interested in. Nice, nice. So your brewing style has been described as innovative and experimental. Was there ever a time when you played it straight up the middle and just brewed basic styles? Or have you always been outside the box kind of like me? I think initially it was a lot about outside the box. But then as you have more demand for those classic styles. You could kind of realize what does align with what people want and what I want to drink right. and am able to move, you know, cause it's like when you go from home brewing to professional brewing, uh, you got to sell the whole tank. You know, yes. it's a business. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's maybe not the obscure styles that, uh, like I like smoke beers, but I'm not going to make one. Um, <laughs> No, but you no. know, yeah. but I think that, that what what uh, I think what you're getting to is like like a lot of the classic lager style yes. uh, yeah. beers is what we're producing as we go grow bigger. Uh, I mean, I'm huge fan of that. Always have been, but have been getting increasingly more interested in beyond Pilsner, yeah. beyond Hellas. Uh, so in uh, the different types of Pilsner. So uh, right now we we have a variety on the board. And yes, we do have a couple stouts and we have a shit ton of IPAs because that's what moves. But uh, what we're noticing is um, our larger program has been seeing more demand and it's hard to keep up. Uh, fortunately, now we're about to put on our third lager on the board, which uh, rarely happens. But just that variety of we have, um, let's see here, we have uh, an American Pilsner with some hand selected crystal. We have a Czech Pilsner with uh, Czech saws, a little bit nice. uh, less dry, so it right. has that medium body, that Czech style. And then we're about to put on a dry hopped, uh, like a West Coast Pilsner. Sorry. So wait a second, is this a dry hopped Pilsner or is this a cold IPA? Oh no, it's a dry hopped Pilsner. <laughs> so Wait, how, wet, how so, serious he answered that? No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. It's so I mean, I'm big. I'm strong on that. We're not making cold IPAs because I don't want. You know, typically you want to add, uh, like, rice, kind of thin it out, make it a little crispier, a little bit drier. Right. right. But for us, we use lager yeast, and we actually lager it right. uh, for about four weeks. But we'll dry hop it during towards the end of fermentation, cap it up, let it go, chill it down, and let it ride out um, until it kind of clears up and becomes that, that crisp um, uh, character with right. some American hop flavor. I almost responded to your story because you posted up the bag of the Italian Pilsner malt 
We yeah. just brewed an, Itali- an Italian Pilsner malt. Um, it's for a Italian restaurant. Pilsner. Um, I'm sorry. An yes. Italian Pilsner. Yeah. Um, it's for a restaurant on Miami Beach called Machialina. They're a yeah. local restaurant. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so we're doing uh, an Italian Pils just for them. You know, it's funny, though. I mean, because we share a lot of the same history and kind of lines and the same kind of styles of beers, big stouts, you know, stuff like that. But I never thought I would have brewed this many different styles of lagers ever. Like Danish lager, next? you know, Italian lager, you know, Czech pills, American light lager. I mean, the, Bohemian. Right. I mean, the, 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 the food, the fooder lager that uh, I, I love from you guys. I was at the port of Miami. One. Yes. I was yeah. crushing that the last time. Yeah. We still uh, I make that. There. I love that one. Yeah. I mean, yeah. dude, we've made, oh my gosh. I mean, we've made dark lagers. We've American made Baltic light porters. Lagers. I mean, uh, like, are, wait, I, wait, we haven't made are, a dark lager yet. Our um, Baltic. I mean, we're still, the bar, you made a, ba- oh yeah, you made a Baltic for like a long time ago. Yeah. Though, but right? then we made it again and John was like, it needs to be 9%. So it's a 9% Baltic porter. <laughs> no one is going to, yeah. no one is going to drink a 7% Baltic porter. No one's going to drink that. You know, yeah, you have to yeah fall in line with like you know overlapping with the stout drinkers. Exactly. You know? I mean, I love Baltic porters, but I know nobody would drink a seven percent Baltic porter. They'd be like, "What is this? You know, this is not enough alcohol in here for me to get like banged up, and it's too dark. So, is this really a stout or what is this? So, it's always constantly kind of playing that game. Yeah, you gotta you gotta find a way to like introduce people to new styles by something that they're familiar with. Right. I agree one hundred percent. So you were one of the instructors for the business of craft beer program at San Diego State University instructing the course marketing craft beer. Like so so many of us in the craft beer industry are self-taught in almost every facet of the business. What's the role of colleagues in universities in developing the next generation of craft beer workers, you think? Well, I think the brewing industry is becoming more respected as a legit yes. industry. I yep. mean, how many people do we employ, you know, worldwide? And it's a, it's a significant number. So everything that follows that is uh, after being taken seriously. Right. Is that, all right, this is a legit business. So let's groom people to fill these roles within these businesses, such as marketing, such as HR and all the operation um, aspects of running a business and let's cater it towards craft beer. Let's cater it towards beer. So, right. yeah, I got started. I got asked um, in San Diego to uh, do the marketing class at San Diego State. And how that progressed was that, uh, when I moved up here, did a couple uh, classes at UC Davis. And wow. to me, like when we talk, we talk about like, you know, having your beer on tap at certain bars, restaurants, like right. being able to be part of the program at UC Davis. That's amazing. Uh, was like, Oh man, this is like a legendary yep. beer school. Yep. And to be able to give back to that and provide is, is pretty rad. That uh, is dope. As like a you know kind of a memorable um, uh, like part of my career. So I did that, and then uh, recently did a the same talk at CBC, which is on the national level. Yep. Um, back in uh, Minneapolis, so kind of that's where that whole you know, getting that marketing degree and having that mindset and applying it and then putting it down into a presentation, uh, that's where it has led. It's, it's pretty cool. And it really is mostly giving back and producing quality uh, employees and making the industry better. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what I want to spend that time, that portion of uh, in my efforts to do. Nice. So I got one last question for you. What's next for Moxa? So next is uh, we're actually opening up a, a restaurant and tap room and Moster Coffee Bar and oh, okay. on, uh, in a couple months, actually. Actually, it's June, so maybe next month. Oh, wow. And so construction is almost done. It's only 12 minutes away, but it, it's in an area that is growing rapidly where a lot of people from the Bay Area are moving out because they're able to buy houses and start a family and raise their family. So it's a nice little suburb uh, that surrounds us. But for me, it also allows us to do two things, expand our barrel aging program because uh, I I mean, we got to, we got to store those things somewhere, right? Exactly. Absolutely. uh, We're going to tuck those in every crevice in that new location. Uh, But also 
uh, in California, by having food, you're allowed to have guest beers. And, um, so that will allow us to do tap takeovers like what we did at normal when, right. you know, people like guests come over, like for example, you guys right. come over, we brew a beer and then we have a little like, awesome. food in a, you know, tap takeover event. So it, awesome. it, it is also creating a better experience and another option for right. the local Sacramento clientele right. to experience craft beer in a different way. Okay. Amazing brother. Well, it has been a pleasure talking to you, man. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to join us. It's uh, it's always good to uh, talk and see you, brother. And Thanks, hopefully, uh, we get to get you down here so we can uh, or we can go keep to this California. cycle going. We got to do that too. I think we have to go we, in September. We yeah, haven't been there in a yeah. long time. Yeah, yeah, we definitely do. But thank you very much, man. I appreciate your time. All right. Yeah. Always fun. Thank talk you. Thanks, later. You're listening to The Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. Our next guest is an author, educator, and one of the foremost authorities on the history of craft beer brewing and imbibing in Asheville, North Carolina. She has authored two of the definitive books on the history of mountain brewing in The Land of the Sky. She is here tonight to tell you why this breathtaking little city in the Blue Ridge Mountains should be on your list of summer travel destinations. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Ann Fitton Glenn. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So before we get started, I, I'm kind of going to uh, put you on the spot. We are recording on a Tuesday, the day after Memorial Day. Did you drink beer yesterday? And if so, whose beer was it? Um, I did drink beer. Typically, I'm on the river, the French Broad River, which is the river that runs through downtown Asheville. But we have had so much rain that it's been really unusually high. So it's no longer like a a beer infused float. But um, I did have a couple Asheville Brewing Perfect Day IPAs yesterday because it felt like a perfect day. <laughs> that is awesome. I, have, I mean, how many times have you actually floated the French Broad? I mean, I've done it once. I mean, and, uh, it, it it is an experience. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I've lived in Asheville since 1997. Oh wow. Um, okay. So I don't know if I can even quantify the number of times I've you know I've moved from a little like ducky to a kayak, and now I, I mostly paddleboard. Yeah, it's a lovely river, and typically it's a very chill float, at least through Asheville. And um, it is an experience. A lot of people are out there and they actually go from breweries to breweries or bars to bars along the river. Yeah, that is an amazing, an amazing experience for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm trying to think back. I think the first time I went there was oof, probably 13, 14 years ago. And there was no one really there, like as far as brewery goes. I think the, um, the old 12 Bones location was still down there by the river. And then yeah. um, what was the brewery right across the railroad tracks from them? Uh, Nut Triangle. Wedge. Wedge. Wedge, Wedge yes. was there before they moved to the new location by the new 12 Bones. Well, they, they have two, two locations okay. now. Yeah. And so then, they kept the original. But... And then Green Man was there. Um, and then uh, I'm trying to think who else was around there. There probably was a, there, Highland. Yes, Highland was, was probably there. the first, um, uh, just outside of town. Catawba. There's Green Man, Asheville Brewing. Um, was Catawba out there? Catawba, yeah. Well, Catawba started um, out in uh, Marion area, um, and they were early on. They were like 97, about the same right. time as Asheville Brewing. But they just opened in Asheville, probably. 10 years ago and they recently sold actually the the owners and founders two brothers the Pyatt brothers um decided to retire wow okay yeah okay and then the other two locations i remember is what is the is it the thirsty monk uh-huh that was downtown and then um the beer store um with the box oh, bruising ales. ales yes yes Yes. Yes, that was a classic, and um, those the owners of Bruising Nails, um, Julie and Jason, were yep. really very important in kind of establishing 
um, a very tight beer community, but they, they closed, um, right before COVID hit. So I think it was just a few months before, I don't know if they had some kind of like tarot reading that told them to close or (laughs) it was just good timing. Um, but that was kind of a sad loss because it was very much a community center for, for beer lovers in the area. Absolutely. Do you remember, I mean, obviously being there since like 97, do you remember what it was like before it turned into this bustling craft beer mecca? Yes. Um, yes. When when I moved here, um, most of downtown was still boarded up. Wow. And okay. it was sketchy. It was sketchy. Really? Um, there were maybe three or four restaurants. Um, Asheville has this really interesting history in that um, it was kind of a very poor out outside of the kind of normal um tourist area town for a long time in the 20th century and then finally in kind of the 80s and 90s things started changing more people started moving here but the the really kind of amazing thing about it being kind of a down and out place was that a lot of the historic buildings that in other small towns got torn down in the 50s, 60s, 70s to make way for for modern buildings did not get torn down here because nobody had the money to buy them or tear them down. Ah. And so it turns out that when um, revitalization came, there were these beautiful old buildings, and then it was cool to actually restore those. And many of those, well, not many of those, but several of those became breweries or have become breweries. And there were also a whole bunch of warehouses, um, old warehouses that were right downtown, which, as you know, is that's a perfect place to um, yes. renovate into yes. a brewery. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, tremendous change in the last 25 years, tremendous change in the last, I would say, 10 years. Yes, um, I would agree. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And um, most mostly positive. Um, you know, it's a little crazy now on the weekends with the, the influx <laughs> yeah, yeah. of all the tourists of, and everybody else coming tourists in. Tourists and, you know, beer tours. And um, I used to, to, to give some beer tours, but um, I, I got a little burnt down out on the uh, Bachelor Bachelorette scene oh, a few geez. years ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it is. Do you do you remember which was the first like real like craft brewery to open up in Asheville and how was it received at that time? Yes. So um Highland Brewing uh opened in 1994 and they were basically um Oscar Wong, who we, we kind of refer to as the grandfather of Asheville beer, um, he retired here and he had been like a nuclear engineer in Charlotte, but he'd always liked to homebrew. And so he started this brewery in the basement of um, an historic building that at the time had a pizzeria and beer bar upstairs. And he and a couple friends just started brewing in the basement for the restaurant. And um, I think it was hard at first. Um, I'm, I moved here from Colorado and I had oh, worked for yeah. the guy who started Line dog brewery. So I was, you know, I knew a little bit more about craft beer than probably a lot of people in the Southeast at that time. Um, and so I was very interested in, you know, seeing what was here. And it was, it was basically just Thailand producing a little bit of beer in the brewery for this pizzeria Barley's. Uh, and it was not bad, but it wasn't great. (laughs) It it took a while for them to kind of, you know, figure it out. And then a couple other breweries started opening, but they were all basically just, um, people are like, well, let's brew some of our own beer to supply our restaurant. That was very much the beginning of. So it was kind of like a chain reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think. You know, I was talking about Asheville being kind of down and out for a long time. I mean, one of the things that um, happened here was it, it was cool to buy local before, like, the rest of the world started thinking really it was cool it. to buy right. local. Yeah, because it, it, you just, like, you supported your neighbors, and it was kind of a frontier town for the East Coast. It was hard to get to. Um, you know, you get up here in the mountains, it's hard to get out so to speak you support your neighbors um there are a lot of small businesses um 
you know, small businesses, entrepreneurs, people who maybe didn't fit in in big cities would come here and say, well, you know, I'm going to start a restaurant or I'm going to start a brewery or I'm going to start a small retail store. And uh, it was it was cool, but it was also just kind of very much the um, just how things were. And so I think, um, you know, people did want to support um, the craft breweries when they started opening because it was their neighbors opening right. them. I mean, which kind of leads into the next question. I mean, Asheville has been named Beer City USA many times based on results of annual national polls. At mm-hmm. what point did the residents in the city government really start to lean into the town's craft beer scene and recognize you know, that potential for craft beer tourism? Well, <laughs> um, I can answer that question. I would say probably, um, you know, we only had three or four breweries going into the 21st century. And then in the 2000s, more small breweries started opening. And then I think that um, the Asheville Chamber of Commerce recognized a huge economic potential. And that's when and this was probably around, I would say, 2007, 2009. I started actually writing about beer for the Mountain Express regularly in, like, 2007. Um, and But the Chamber of Commerce kind of realized, oh, okay, this is having an, impo- an economic impact. Um, let's see if we can make it more of an impact. And that's when they started kind of courting these larger – breweries that were considering building east coast expansion facilities um and the big year was i mean like 2012 was a crazy year i don't know if you were at cbc that year but that was the year that everybody was joking oh so you know where's the workshop that's you want to start a brewery in north carolina because uh, that was the year that Sierra Nevada, Belgium, and Oscar Blues all announced that they were going to open expansion production facilities in this general area. Wow. Okay. I mean, so at that point, so what are we looking at? Like 2012, like these big mm-hmm. beer companies like Sierra Nevada, New Belgium, Oscar Blues, all just decided to open facilities in Asheville. I mean, how did mm-hmm. that go over? I mean, because you you had pushed the point that it was like local, local, local. We wanted to buy local. And then all of a sudden you have these giant craft breweries coming in to set up shop. How did that go over with the locals? It was scary. Um, that's a very good question. I was actually on the board of directors of the Asheville um, Brewers Alliance at that point, And it was all small breweries and there was a good bit of fear that these guys, you know, these huge breweries, because at that point, you know, Sierra Nevada and New Belgium were in the top three uh, craft breweries in America. I think they still are, or at least definitely Sierra Nevada is. Um, And there was, you know, fear that they were going to come and take all the grocery um, store shelf space or, you know, take uh, all the tourists or take all of... Um, the local craft beer drinkers, even. I mean, they were. The weird- I mean, the thought would have been like you guys were going to be over commercialized by these guys. Yeah, yeah. There, there was going to be competition and not collaboration. Right. Um, and I think there was a there was a good bit of fear. Some more, some breweries and some of those breweries, you know, just were maybe not doing as well. Were more fearful than others. But really, the the interesting thing, and you probably know this, having done what you've done is that it it turned out to be actually really good for the small breweries here um in terms of you know um bringing more tourists to Asheville actually putting yes Asheville had been named beer city before these larger breweries came in but it, it was funny because people would always call me and they'd be like well, well why is this beer city when none of these breweries even distribute right. to more than like three or four small southeastern eastern states. We've never even heard of these breweries in Ohio or you know California or you know. So so how are y'all so cool? Um, but you know these larger breweries come in came in um, and you know brought that kind of national recognition and that made 
more tourists come. And of course, if they're going to go see Walt Disneyland, as we call Sierra Nevada, <laughs> um, they're also right. going to come, <laughs> you know, go to the three or four small breweries that have now opened to the area and check those out. Um, and also there's a huge um, change in infrastructure and support in the beer world. I mean, White Labs decided to open yes. a facility which here. Actually, which was, which a, was, was actually amazing for the East Coast guys like myself. Yeah. Because we used to solely depend on them, you know, depend on them to ship their yeast all the way from like San Diego, California. And that was sometimes like a nightmare for us. And once they yeah. decided over an East Coast operation, it alleviated so much pains for us to get yeast. So it was actually a great thing that they did that. Yeah, shipping and packaging was oh, crazy expensive yes, for yes, yes. And, I mean, like my guys at Little Asheville Brewing, I mean, you know, the brewers could literally walk up the street to buy yeast, yeast yep. and, you know, and walk it back to the brewery and brew. And it, so it became this kind of magical thing. And then, you know, the same with, with other ingredients, um, suppliers started taking notice because, you know, yeah, they want to supply Sierra Nevada and New Belgium, but while they're here, they can also help out the smaller breweries. You're listening to the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield, and we're speaking to Anne Fitton Glenn. So, about 10 year, years ago, you wrote a book called Asheville Beer An Intoxicating History of Mountain Brewing. The foreword was written by our friend Zane Lamprey, who's also been on the Beer Hour. When did it occur to you that a book about the history of craft beer in Asheville needed to be written and that you were the one to do it? <laughs> well, um,. <sighs> It, that's an interesting story. I was actually at that point writing a beer column, a regular beer column for the small um, Asheville Alternative News Weekly, Mountain Express. And we had just started having uh, Asheville Beer Week. And I was on the committee to help with Asheville Beer Week. And so as part of that, um, for the newspaper, I wrote a historic timeline um, of beer in Asheville. And then um, the History Press, which is my publisher, they contacted me and they oh. said, hey, we are doing these series of beer history books around the country, which they still do. And uh, we saw your beer history timeline. We know you're a writer and you're also in the beer business. Um, would you like to write a book? And I was dumb enough to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, hey, listen, you have written a book. That's more than a lot of people can say. So. It was, it was a lot. I mean, um, it was hard, um, but it was really fun. And it was so much fun that then um, six years later, I wrote a second volume. Right, right. That's, that, that's what I was going to say. Like in 2018, you wrote your second book, Western North Carolina Beer, A Mountain Brew History. How does that one differ from your first book? Well, it, it, I mean, so the amazing thing to me is um, it – the first book, Asheville Beer, um, published in 2012, late 2012, I profiled 19 regional breweries in six Western North Carolina counties. Wow. So okay. that seemed like a lot to me at the time. I mean, I thought maybe craft beers plateaued in this area. Um, I was really wrong because six years later, in the second book, I profiled 74 operating breweries in 18 Western North Carolina counties. Yeah. So Western North Carolina is, is, is big. It's bigger than a lot of states. Right. But um, the fact that there had been that much exponential growth in all these small towns, particularly a lot of which had formerly been dry. I mean, Western North Carolina yes. was really dry for yeah. a really long time. I mean, then we still have dry pockets, um, although they've been disappearing fast at, because more and more towns have been like, oh, having a small craft brewery downtown really changes things. It's really good for community and economic development and tourism and all these other things. Um, but so my, my Western North Carolina book is about twice the size of the actual beer book. And um, it covers more, more of the small towns and the development, their development and post-prohibition from becoming, you know, dry to moist to wet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. No. no. <laughs> yeah. So, so that kind of lead, that kind of leads me <laughs> yeah. in, into my next question. Here is like, 
who or what is Brugasm? <sighs> well, Brugasm is the name I came up with um, when <laughs> I was writing my my beer column. Right. And it, it's kind of a funny story. I have some um, other female writer friends and um, from other places in the country. And we used to like meet once a year just to have a, a girls writing weekend. And we were in New York City. And we had maybe had a little bit to drink and we were like, all right, I've got to think of a name for this beer column I'm going to be writing. And one of the women said, uh, how about brewgasm or beergasm? And I was like, oh, I'm sure that's taken. And so we immediately like looked it up and it wasn't. So I like, I like went till two o'clock in the morning and I got like the Twitter name and the Facebook name and registered the domain name. And I mean, I just bought everything Brewgasm and I now actually have two trademarks That's um, under Brewgasm um, for a t-shirt, which many people have tried to steal. And um, for a beer, Ashville Brewing made me a beer when my second um, book came out called uh, Brewgasm IPA. It was a session. <laughs> I mean, was that kind of led by the idea of these counties making that gradual progression to being more of a beer drinking county in the way that you described that earlier you know, <laughs> you know yeah yeah well and i think that um you know i mean it's it's kind of funny now i've kept the the brugasm name as my social media name which of course is embarrasses my my now um adult children but <laughs> <laughs> they're like oh oh your your mom is brugasm oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. but i can't i can't really let go of it um apparently the um the baseball team the brewers um when there's a home run, everybody in the stadium screams brewgasm, which I didn't know till a few years ago. Um, (laughs) That's amazing. That is amazing. I know, right? That is amazing. So I think I've got to go to a Brewers game and, you know, just just stand up and bow. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. So I I have a real question. If, If people in our listening audience are intrigued enough to take a trip to Asheville, which they should this summer or fall, where would you recommend that they stay where should they eat? Oh, gosh. And what should they see? Okay. Well, um, there are now so many hotels downtown. Um, and there are some, some, some lovely hotels downtown that and you can walk. I mean, Zane Lapry did that. I mean, right. he came and visited at that point. I think there were 12 breweries in the area yep. in one day. Um, and you can w- now walk in downtown and down to the River Arts District and, you know, even get over to West Asheville where there are now like eight breweries. Um, so I would definitely stay downtown. Um, there are a lot of different options. Uh, and if you don't like the big kind of downtown hotels, although some of them have lovely roof gardens, um, there are a whole bunch of um, bed and breakfast in the Monfort area, which is also walking distance. That's kind of the historic area right outside of downtown. And then in terms of food, again, I I also write about food. um, And in fact, since I've left beer marketing, I write almost as much about food as about beer. Uh, There are so many great restaurants in downtown Asheville. I mean, James Beard award winners, um, Katie, um, Katie Button um, has a restaurant called Karate, which is a tapas bar, which oh, is yes. amazing. Karate is great. Um, the Italian spot. What is the Italian spot? That, in uh, that like, 24? It's on that, like, uh, it's on that side road. street on the cobblestone. Um, could, could, is it could, it's Kachina 24. It's got to be. Yeah. It's, yes, it is. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's, yeah. what's the chef's name? Amazing. Brian uh, yes. something. Yeah. Yes. I remember actually I went in there when, <laughs> when Doug was on his supposed like vegetarian vegan kick and he cooked us a complete like vegan dinner. It was amazing. And I wasn't really vegan. <laughs> I'm not vegan, but it was amazing no matter what. That place is amazing. That place is amazing. I mean, there's so many great restaurants. Um, John Fleer has a restaurant downtown called Rhubarb, which is awesome. I mean, you can. I mean, you can't go wrong. Of course, now a days post COVID, you ha- you you do need to get reservations ahead of time because uh, a lot of the restaurants have weird hours. 
Um, they're not always open every day of the week, although most of them probably will be in the summertime. And then, you know, I mean, just walk around all the breweries. I mean, there's a couple new ones downtown that are really interesting. Dissolver, which is getting yes. a lot of attention yep. and isn't it? They renovated this huge historic building and are making really awesome beer. And then there's the whole South Slope area, which I mean, it's amazing. has everything. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. You've yes. been here. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> I would definitely, Asheville is definitely worth a trip. If you guys like have not been to Asheville, there is, I mean, it's, it's definitely a destination to go for, beer, food, and scenery, everything around there is, it's beautiful. Yeah. And get outside. I mean, that's, that's why these, these large breweries came here. I mean, Sierra Nevada, uh, you know, New Belgium, Oscar blues, all were in small Western towns with lots of natural beauty and lots of access to outdoor adventures. And Asheville is, you know, kind of a carbon copy of some of those small towns just in terms of, just natural a natural beauty, just an East coast version, which is yes, exactly. A little, little bit, a little, little bit, bit better. I, I like it a little better, but <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's definitely, it's definitely wetter. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You have, Absolutely. To, you have to be able to, to ride in mud. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So finish the sentence for me. The thing okay. I love the most about Asheville, North Carolina is probably the mountains. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the mountains. I mean, I'm a big mountain biker, paddleboarder, hiker. Um, Zipline? Ziplines? <laughs> Ziplines? Yeah, the ziplines out there are amazing. Oh, too. yeah, That's, yeah, yes. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yeah. they're super, super fun. There's one over the gorge now, yes. which is amazing. Yeah, I mean, just being outside and you know, there's all this canned craft beer that you can take with you. <laughs> that is, that's probably the added bonus for sure. So I have one last question for our listeners out uh-huh. there. How can people find your books and follow you on social media? Obviously we know on social, so your handles for all the social is Brewgasm? Brewgasm. Yes. Okay. Um, and uh, also, I mean, I have a, a little website that's under my name, just Ann Fitton Glenn. Too. Um, but my books are available via Amazon. Um, and in the Southeast, in Asheville, they're in most local independent bookstores. They're in Walmart. They're in Sam's Club. Um, they're at CVS. I mean, at Ingalls. I mean, if you're in Asheville, you run into my books pretty much anywhere which is lovely um the actually the Asheville beer uh book is one of um the history press's best-selling books ever wow um because so many people when they come to Asheville that's the book that they buy mostly because of the title I don't know if they actually read it (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they do I'm sure they do they look at the pictures there's some nice photos (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time today. This has been, oh, uh, it's been an excellent, excellent uh, conversation. And uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Anne. Yeah. Thank have, you so much. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank our guests, Derek Galanosa and Anne Fitton-Glenn, our co-host, Maria Cabre, our producer, Rocco Riggio, and our editor, Brian O'Connell. Thank you for listening. You can catch us each Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132 or anytime on the SiriusXM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please remember to rate and review the show. Remember, people, the thirst is real.